Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business with me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision and how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Project Future podcast. My guest this week is Mike Pagan, a business performance specialist who believes that having a proactive support network is the secret to your success. In this conversation, Mike explains how he learned to adapt when faced with a global financial crisis, the brutal reality of retiring from professional sport, and what we can all learn from it why it's so important to have somebody to ask you the right questions, the difference between being professional and amateur, and what it will lead to, and finally, why taking in information alone won't make a difference. Mike's best advice is don't do it in isolation. Let's have a listen. Hi, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to speak with you today. I wonder if you could start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you come to do what it is you're doing now. Oh, this is the interesting bit of how to seduce people that they want to listen. Okay, I, I, I won't <laughs> waffle. Uh, I, I did uh, 15 years approximately of the corporate world, sales, marketing and management, hotels and finance. Uh, I then got accused of being the best salesman in the world because I took uh, wife, baby, rucksack, no car, no job, no house, and moved out to Western Australia, where I had three years there taking commercial skills into a dot-com business. Well, that was my first learning about uh, what happens with recessions and crashes, because in the dot-com bomb in 2000, we were looking for VC capital two weeks after that. Um, And needless to say, we weren't successful in raising the money. But uh, the business still grew and uh, bought me out several years later, which was always nice. Um, but then came back to the UK uh, three years after going out there. Same wife, two children, a uh, small container ship um, and uh, set up a business <laughs> in a location I'd never lived in my life in an industry with no previous track record, uh, without a database. And it took me six months to write my first invoice. So, yeah, that, that, that's how I started my business. And uh, nowadays it's uh, I, I work as uh, a business coach, strategist, non-exec director, I speak at events around the place. I have a massive passion focus on mental wealth, which I know we'll talk about more as we go through, uh, which is all about having the right support network around you and not doing this whole thing called life and business in isolation because that sucks and it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I, I'm based in Warwickshire in the UK um, I, and I enjoy all sorts of random things in my world of self-care. But again, I know we'll talk on those things later as we go along. 
Well, this is it. And I, I think there's there, there's so much there in what you've said in terms of that life journey, because we all have that, don't we? In, in one way or another, there there are experiences that we don't expect or we don't expect to come across and then suddenly they do. So the, the recession that hit while you were in Australia, well, that must have been quite a quite an eye-opening thing for you. And But then to turn things around and to be able to sell the business. So I wonder if you could touch a little bit on that and you know how that kind of played out and then what you decided you wanted to do afterwards. Okay, well, well in that story, I, I joined a, a portal website that was similar to what is now uh, Fish for Sale uh, and Zoopla. Uh, but this, this was based over there before the days of Google Maps, uh, for, for those of you listening who can remember that. <laughs> uh, and, and fundamentally, it was, it was real estate portal and we did all the back end as well of support. But we were looking for the cash injection so that we could take it nationally and then for uh, uh, international expansions in a box. And obviously didn't get the finance. So now you've got to change and you've got to use that wonderful phrase that's used so much nowadays of pivoting, um, which meant we became very much a marketing agency, in effect, for real estate agents um, uh, in, in Western Australia. And it's, and it's that whole learning about how when, when things hit you, you, you adapt. Uh, 2008. The, the global financial crisis that again hurt a lot because I was involved in property. I had contracts with uh, all large organisations that all pulled their plug overnight. Uh, so the, the, again, it was a painful process and, and adapting uh, to what was going on to the, the recent times of pandemic and lockdowns, where I would have to say 100% of my business was delivered face to face in situ. And suddenly uh, the whole business had to change to virtual online world um, that everybody is now very comfortable with and very au fait with. And, and it's just that ability to, rather than just sort of putting up the white flag and, and surrendering, what can we do better here? How are, are other people asking good questions and challenging? And how am I challenging myself to make sure that uh, the people who work with and for me, uh, that they're not going to lose out and the clients are getting everything they want and more because then they're going to stay with you for the longer term and pay more in the bigger picture thing, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, for me, change is always an opportunity. I always see it as an opportunity. I always see ways that things can be done differently and when disruption occurs like that as we've seen you know over the last couple of years and uh, as you refer to back in 2000 and in 2008 someone will win and someone will lose you know coming out yeah. of that time and I, I think being able to being ready to move quickly and to make adjustments and to focus on the customer at the end of it gives you more chance of succeeding than you know your competitors and other people in the in the space as well so so yeah i think it's a, it's a really great example of and, i mean a, a classic example of that same thing and this is this is this is a particular organization i'll mention now that i'm worried for because it's all about adapting to how uh, businesses change taste buds change but i i don't know anybody below the age of 50 certainly not below the age of 40 who buys much in the way if any clothing from good old M&S. And we've got all these high street stores that are going to the wall that haven't adapted and haven't adjusted either their offering or their style or whatever else. And I know there's a big retail on, uh, on high street online battle going on across the board. But it's, for me, there's organizations like that that I'm very worried for in the longer term uh, because whilst the food side of things may be evolving and doing well, I don't see the other side. And 
uh, as a, my, I have three adult children or young adult children, and, and I, I really don't think my daughter will ever buy an M&S thong. Let me put it that <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, I, I think those bigger businesses as well, we're, we're certainly seeing those trends. And M&S is one that I follow quite closely. My wife worked there many years ago. It was her first job out of university. And mm-hmm. I, I think the food side of things is going very, very well. And we're, we're seeing them kind of pivot, you know, to use that word again, towards that in many of their shops uh, as well. So there's almost an acceptance, um, I dare say, that that trend is continuing and moving away from the the bigger kind of like marquee shops and, and stores that they had, you know, a, across many town centers across the country and having the smaller Simply Food stores and things like that. So, uh, yeah, we, we could speak about them and I'm sure many others um, all day, but uh... yes, I, yes, I, I don't mean to pick on them per se. It was just one that's current in my mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and and I think a relevant point as well. And it shows where we've seen others like Debenhams that have, have suffered in similar way, but without having a food business to back them up, perhaps um, have, have gone to the gone to the wall completely. You know, unfortunately. Yes, so I was I was in Bromley the other day, uh, not too far from us, and a huge Debenham store you know, in the middle of the Glade shopping centre and uh, just all boarded up, you know, and it's it, it's terrible to see. We, we walked past it and we said, you know, who's going to take that space? It's not even one that's going to be easy to divide up into smaller units because of the, the shape of it within the within the shopping centre. You know, it's got kind of one entrance. Um, so what do you what do you do? Create corridors? You know, how how do you how do you solve that? So, yeah, you know, it's uh, big challenges across across retail, certainly. So tell us a little bit more about about yourself, and you know I, I think you've got you've got several books, don't you, that you've published now, and specifically the the more recent one that you published on mental wealth and why you you see that as being so important for everybody going forwards. Yeah, I think um, in essence, for me, um, I'm very much focused on productivity and performance in businesses and individuals. I've had the privilege of working with uh, a number of professional elite sportsmen and women. At that point of transition from professional career to retired professional sports person. And within that environment, there's, there's this brutal stage that happens when the guillotine comes down as, as retirement starts. And there may well have been 35 people keeping them on a pitch, on the track, in the pool, whatever it was yesterday. But the problem is, going forward, they are now no longer fit for purpose for the way forward. So these, this, that's their support network that they've relied on from nutritionists to psychologists to strength and conditioning, physio, et cetera, et cetera. But all of those guys are now no longer fit for purpose for what they're doing next. And, and it's knowing exactly what we need in that support team around us that's going to enable us to achieve and succeed in everything that's happening. And the problem that really kicks in is this bit of isolation. Because isolation kills creativity and prevents decision making. And as a negative result of isolation, that can in turn lead to that spiral that leads into negative mental health. So my language of mental wealth is a play on mental health, but I'm not a mental health expert. Uh, My focus is very much on mental wealth, which is about building that mental wealth team, that support network around both individuals and teams and businesses to make sure that we are asking the right questions being asked the right questions, and then in turn finding the best answers for us going forward, be that as a solopreneur, new startup, or a chief exec of a uh, five and a half thousand employee multinational organization. 
We need to have those people supporting, provoking, challenging and asking better questions of us than we're either too afraid to ask of ourselves. I don't know the questions to ask or we're just doing a bit of that to, uh, that emu thing where you sort of stick your head in the sand and hope everybody else goes away. Yeah, I love it. And this makes me say prevention really is better than cure. And in, in so many areas, I say you don't need to be a specialist in mental health to help people avoid having mental health challenges. Uh, I think that's the, that's the key to it for Agreed. me. And, and certainly, you know, a lot of what I've tried to do over the years has, has kind of been that kind of proactive stuff I find as an individual. I, I work better in that environment rather than dealing with problems further down the line as, as a project manager i'd much rather you know deliver the project successfully rather than deal with issues that, that come further down the line so and you know as you speak about the the sports people i, I think that's such a, a a key area as well you know many people are in that environment from a young age and have nothing to fall back on so whether it is that they have a full career in the, in their sport or you know, it doesn't quite work out and say if they're a footballer, they get released from their club when they're 19 or 20, something along those lines. You know, the challenge is um, equally there that you've had one goal, one focus for a long period of time, often from early childhood. And as you say, a, a team around you to help you achieve those goals. Yeah, I, th- I think it's such a key area and, and works with, in other professions just as well. Oh, totally. I mean, when, when you visualise wearing that England jersey, that Scotland jersey, that whatever it is, and suddenly your career is now over at the age of 19 or 20. Uh, there is a lot of effort and a lot of work going in there through the parents' associations and, and other governing bodies as well. But the reality check is when we translate that into sort of the rest of the world, into business, contracts go, contracts come, uh, new clients come, prospects that we thought were going to be brilliant and they turn out to be high maintenance or never turn up at all. These people, we start to see the snowball effect of positive and this is working, this is working, and then suddenly it stops. Um, There's a world correction as as the pandemic has brought in. It's knowing how to deal with those areas, but having people around you that are either, uh, I'm not on about sort of a self-wallowing and pitying party, but it's knowing you're not on your own uh, because that that's where the thing is and those teams around us need to be functioning and focused uh, uh, sadly for me i lost a friend uh, in in the, in the first year of the pandemic uh, he uh, um, was going through a very ugly divorce was estranged from his son and uh, uh, long story short uh, but he he took his own way out but the, the reality was he did Sorry, he was an extrovert he had a, a social network he had friends he had um, good contacts and so on. But for whatever reason, the right questions weren't being asked of him at the right time. And I'm not saying if I'd had the correct questions for him that the outcome could have been different. Uh, It just clearly it didn't happen that way. And that's why it's so important, uh, I believe, for asking the right questions. And if there's that just that gut feel, we, we need to, it's our duty as humans. We need to just say, you said you're fine. Well, we all know what fine stands for. Um, and it's uh, we, we just need to dig a bit deeper. And if it's not something you haven't heard from somebody for a small amount of time, a long amount of time, but you normally do. Well, that's where we just need to reach out and just be better humans is part of it. As you say, they don't have to be a mental health expert to do that. This is just about common decency as humans. But we get caught up so much in our own lives that we don't do stuff like that all the time because we're too busy. 
Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, unfortunately, we're going to be seeing a lot of these things over the next year or two, uh, I think, as well as people, you know, kind of have taken the strain of the of the pandemic over the last kind of 18 months or so. And it, it takes its toll on on individuals, on, on relationships and all of those kind of things. So uh, I think this area is only getting more and more important you know, as, as we move forwards now. So I, I know there's four core areas that you focus on. So I wonder if you can explain those to us. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause yes, it, this isn't meant to be doom and gloom. It's just the reality. Uh, however, the reality is we can, we can make it better. Uh, yeah. And for, for me, that's about building a mental wealth team and that they can come from sort of four core areas. Uh, first is your self care team. Uh, and for me, self-care runs from everything from nutrition and diet and fitness and uh, meditation and mindfulness and everything else to a weekend warrior. <laughs> I do some random stupid stuff, but but I say that because actually I really enjoy them. Um, and they may be weird to somebody else, but because I enjoy them, that's OK. Yep. And this this is part of the foundation of all things in the world of self-care. Uh, i I fortunate enough to have a wife and three young adult children and a dog and and historically I've always said that I'm number six in the family <laughs> I've, I've always put everybody else first now yeah. that this has been said by many before and and will be said by many again afterwards but we have to make ourselves number one because if we're not number one how are we going to be able to help the others in that five above me if we're not fit for purpose or capable of doing something to help and that's so important when you, when we suddenly make ourselves number one, that uh, well, that means being selfish. Well, selfish is a negative word most of the time, and so, but actually, it's a real word. If we're doing the stuff that's right by us, that helps us rebuild, reboot, re-energize, and refuel. Lots of reason there, but that's the whole point of it. Yeah. But then you then you're able to fire up, and your energy goes up, and everything's working. And if you need a fitness coach, it's going to help there. If you need a quitting smoking, uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, whatever it happens to be, all of these support networks that can be pulled into the area of self-care so that you are doing more than you would on your own, then that that works. And for me, doing challenges, I was fortunate enough to be part of the, uh, in 2015, we were the fastest men's relay team to swim the English Channel. Uh, that's relay, not solo. So I'm mad, not stupid, or stupid, not mad. I never <laughs> quite remember. Uh, but it's that was two years of training and learning and, and understanding about the water and the conditions and getting used to wearing budgie smugglers and jellyfish. Yeah. Different story, but uh, I'll keep that more there. <laughs> yeah, it's a key area. And uh, I, I say, I, I spoke with a wonderful lady called Sarah Price um, when I was writing Project Future. And, you know, I was planning to put kind of like half a page on on self-care and actually put a, a fair amount more in having, having spoken to her and made some changes to my own life as well. You know, so certainly Sunday mornings at the moment is, is my kind of time out away from the, the family environment. You know, I have a, a spin class that I do at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning and it's, it's a great time of the week to, to just get away. You know, it's nice and quiet in the gym at that time of the day. And, you know, I come back kind of 11 o'clock or so on a Sunday and feeling refreshed and, and, and ready, you know, for the rest of the weekend and indeed the, the week ahead. So And, and, and there's, a, there's a caveat attached to what you're just describing there. Um, and I, I'm just going. I'm, I'm going to annoy a few listeners now, but I don't mean this in a bad way. And, and this is all to do with the god of alcohol. 
Now, I've, <laughs> I've played rugby to a, a semi-serious level. I never quite got the professional contract, uh, um, but I, I, I was doing okay. And so with that, rugby is quite a sociable drinking after uh, game sort of culture. Uh, and I calculated that sort of on a Friday night, you'd have a few drinks. Saturday, you'd have a fair few more. Sunday, you'd probably have a few at lunchtime and uh, maybe a few in the evening. And then, then Monday to Thursday, you'd probably only have one night where you'd have a few drinks. And very quickly, I, uh, and this is not scientifically proven at all, uh, but I calculated that's 15 hours a week I was donating to the god of alcohol. Uh, and that's excluding hangovers. Now, 15 hours a week is two working days in time. Now translate that into a year. That meant I was donating 100 days a year to the god of alcohol. Now, I realize alcohol does go with being sociable and that's part of our self-care and uh, well-being to be interactive with others and so on. But it just highlighted to me the amount of time I was using up in association with one particular activity. And it's not about giving up alcohol unless that's your particular choice. But it was about, uh, for me, it was about drinking better stuff less often, uh, so, <laughs> which is a different way of doing it. But it meant, though, if I was to reduce my dedication to that uh, particular activity by just 10 percent, that was going to give me 10 days a year back yep. of uh, availability. But the clear, the clear one, which is why I, I use that story there, is because you said you go for a, an early morning class on a Sunday. Well, I quite often would do open water swimming on a Sunday morning. Now, believe me, jumping into a lake or a river at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, burping up Rioja from the night before, is not nice. <laughs> so what it actually Absolutely. did was it meant that I would stop. I'd have a few early and then stop because I knew I was going to be active the following day. So there was a there was a positive effect there. I was suddenly I was reducing my consumption and uh, everything else that was going on, which was then in turn having a, a positive effect on my own self care because I was having a far more enjoyable swim without my head throbbing and banging and um, repetitions of the the night before. Absolutely. And part of the reason why I chose that class rather than the alternative one at 10 o'clock or so on a Sunday is because if I know I'm up early, I wouldn't have a glass of wine on a Saturday night. Because yes, you need Yeah, because I know that I'm out uh, the next day. So it's it, it takes away that they, the option to just you know, sit and watch the football or whatever and uh, and and have a glass of wine on a Saturday evening. So that was that was quite a nice thing for me to to kind of swap some of the, the things that we, you know, regularly do on a weekend and sort of turn it into something positive and, and something that's to do with promoting self-care and fitness around it as well. Absolutely. So, so okay, so self-care is, is the first area. The second area is having a coach. Uh, now, you, you would say that, well, Mike, you would say that because you're a coach, but uh, primarily, uh, going back to the sporting analogy, a sports coach will get more out of you than you will on your own. Well, let's put that into business. Let's put that into uh, good citizenship. Let's put that into religion. Let's put that into whatever format you do. You have the right person challenging and provoking and coaching you. They're going to find solutions to things or help you find solutions to things that you will then commit to rather than being told what to do. And, and that therein lies part of uh, the, the coach because they, they're not there with a shopping list of what you need to do. They're there challenging you about what you're doing and helping you find better solutions that you're going to commit to uh, for over the longer period of time rather than just harebrained ideas that they think of that might work for you, might not. You've got to translate it into what you're going to do and how that's going to come together. Yep, 
absolutely. And having an external view as well. I, th- I think that's often we're, we're too close to ourselves sometimes as well. Is to have have an external view and have somebody to just be an irritant. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. To have someone that's there that will annoy you or force you into you know that you don't want to let down. I think is a, is a good way of putting it. So. Yeah, no, it's it's a really yeah. key it's a really key point, and and again, it links so well to the sports side of things. So you know, as as a sports fan myself, you know, I love the the analogies here and how you know we can use the, what happens in sport and in, in sports science and the the psychology around that and putting it into business. I think is is great. So anyway, I'll stop interrupting. Carry on. No, no, no. I mean, and and it's, but it's also known that not everybody is sports minded. So it's it's understanding. Yeah. Okay, uh, what is it that motivates you? What is it that excites you? I mean. The, there's many different things that people do from uh, reading and writing books and right the way through to uh, playing games to, or just, I mean, the gardening. Uh, we, we just had a holiday in Scotland recently uh, and some of the gardens there of, of, of friends or family, uh, just utter dedication. And I know where I live, um, there's quite a lot less going on in gardens because uh, they're too busy doing other stuff so the gardens get forgotten. Uh, and it, and it, so it's finding these passions and they're, they're great for the self-care and obviously if you've got a coach helping you in, in your garden, well, that, that could be a, a grandparent or a father-in-law or whatever it is. Yep. They, they are, inverted commas, a coach for you in that environment. So, so not all of coaches and, and areas are, uh, are paid for. Yep, love it. And uh, yeah, I think that's a really key point, isn't it? it it's uh, it, it, the inverted commas element of it, as you say. They don't need to be a professional. They're just someone that knows a bit more about something than you do. However, I do need to go on to the third area, which is the area that you do pay for. Um, <laughs> go on. <laughs> and um, uh, that, that is the professional team. Uh, so that's your accountants, your solicitors and your wealth managers. Now, uh, the, these guys may not be on speed dial to you, but they are the ones who get you out of trouble because they ask emotion-free questions that you don't ask yourself. Uh, I know in the, in the mid noughties I did uh, quite a lot of property investing, some good, uh, some ish, and some absolute disasters. Uh, and uh, the reason why I hone in on this so much is because, and, and in hindsight, what I'm about to say now, you say, oh yeah, well that's obvious, Mike. At the time when I was offered to buy a place in Cyprus that was going to host the home of the PGA golf course. I was going to have guaranteed rental incomes uh, and it was all going to cover itself and it was all set up and the many thousands of people had already purchased. So I was all part of this process. Then it really was that such a bad decision. So, I uh, well, I didn't take independent legal advice. It took me 13, almost 14 years for me to complete on a property in a different space, during which time I had to pay the mortgage the whole way. That's what having poor professional support or lack of professional support will do for you, because clearly I wasn't the expert in that field and I trusted people or I put too much faith in certain people that weren't up to the mustard. So the professional team nowadays, I have a very proactive wealth management team who ask me lots of questions. They know my inside leg measurement, my blood type, my DNA, the whole lot. Because that way we are open, transparent and absolutely clear about what we're trying to build for myself, for my family, for everybody going forward. Uh, And that is then in turn backed up by the right legal advice, which is independent, scrutinizing and brutal. Because X hundred now uh, on that external advice is a hell of a lot cheaper than 13 years of mortgage payments. 
And then the final one is the accountant who uh, is quite simply making sure you pay every penny you should, not a penny more, not a penny less uh, to the relevant tax authorities for what you win or what you lose. Because if you lose money, then that can be offset at a later date when you do start making money again later. And that is, in inverted commas, the grown-up area. And I remember talking to my father-in-law about this area, and, and, and he said, well, of course, everybody has that. Uh, no, no, they don't. They don't have that set up. But that's an older man who's clearly uh, has expectations of where people are. But uh, in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, uh, we try and avoid spending money on those fees and services unless we really, really have to. Whereas actually in hindsight, which happens when you get the odd grey hair, it's it, it turns around to be maybe we should be looking at this slightly differently. Yeah, indeed. I think it's seeing it as an investment, isn't it? And and being open to being asked those difficult questions. And because that stuff a lot of the time isn't fun. You know, mm. speak, speaking with lawyers isn't fun. But at the same time, if they can protect your business um, in a way that can, you know, save you, uh, you know, a, a, a piece of IP or a copyright side of things or something like that. It's worth having those conversations. And you'd, you'd much rather know now than when you're, when you've been a victim of an attack of, of some kind. So, so yeah, mm. I, I think it's so important, all of those areas and factoring it in to the time that your business needs from it, because it's not sexy. And it's just one of those things that's seen as an overhead, but it, it really is an investment. So yeah, I love the way you put it there. And to, to factor those three down as you have done. It's, it's making it real, definitely. Yep. Uh, and then, then the final area is uh, the, the support network, the mastermind group, the peer coaching. And, and that environment, if, if, if you're not familiar with masterminding, Speak and Grow Rich, Think and Grow Rich, sorry, uh, was the Napoleon Hill book that came out in the early parts of the 20th century. Uh, and they sort of credited Ford with um, being the, uh, the initial people that did masterminding, whereas it wasn't the Americans. <laughs> Uh, so masterminding stems from an organization called the Lunar Society, which was established in the 1760s in Birmingham, no less, okay. in sunny Birmingham. Um, and it was set up with people like Erasmus Darwin and Matthew Bolton and other luminaries of the day who would meet under the light of a full moon so that nobody else knew they were meeting. And because they were not competing with each other or anything else like that, they were just incredibly intelligent people meeting in a room to discuss and debate things going forward. And the, the reason why they had to meet at night was uh, because a lot of what they were thinking about was during the Industrial Revolution. So they were pushing the boundaries of what was normal and potentially even challenging what could be seen as uh, heresy, because uh, it, it was that different, some of the ideas they were coming up with. Uh, and the Lunar Society was because they met under the light of the full moon. Okay. Uh, there you go. That's a, that's a little history lesson for you. Okay. Uh, and it, it's great because now we take that environment and you build a net, uh, this mastermind group where they all ask you lots and lots of questions about your business, what opportunities you're doing, where you're going to, how you're setting it up. Are you expanding this way? Are you going to contract that way? Uh, the newer you are in business, the questions are all just as important as if you were a, uh, a, a, an executive in a corporate organization. And then the key part of this is they tell you what they think they would do if they were in your shoes. And the final thing from your mouth is these are the three things I will do before we meet next week, next month or whenever it is you set up your regular meetings. 
And even if you're doing your activity at one o'clock in the morning, the morning of your next meeting, you've done it. So you never turn up having not done what you said you were going to do, because this is absolute accountability. It's uncomfortable. It's honest. It's truthful. It's real. And it can absolutely change the way you approach what you do, because you, you can't give BS um, to these guys in your group. I'm, I'm trying to avoid swearing on, on a podcast. You <laughs> never know who's listening. Uh, but you, you can't build them. Um, so they are there to challenge and hold you. And then the flip side happens. Once you've been in the hot seat, you then become the coach or consultant and others are in the hot seat and you're spending the whole time challenging them. And the problem with that is you start asking questions which you know are total hypocrisy because you're not doing it yourself. Uh, so you learn just as much on either side of that equation, whether you're being grilled or you're doing the grilling. Uh, and it's such a powerful environment to be in. And for me, over the last 20 years of running my business, I've been a member of many different mastermind groups, some attached to sort of the speaking world, some attached to a generic business, some attached to particular projects. Um, it's just so powerful. And I, I can't recommend it more is the honest answer to that one. Yeah, I love it. And certainly, as you were speaking before you said the word, you know, I've written down here accountability, because it's all about that, isn't it? And and it's it's a different relationship to that that you have with a coach. But, you know, certainly the the, the masterminding that I've done and, and sort of working with a buddy as I do on a weekly basis is in a different industry. I think it's it's so key to because you commit publicly to something and then you have to get that done you you have to you have to get it done and follow up on and do what you said you're going to do effectively so so yeah I, I think it's so key and uh you know i like what you say about the hypocrisy side of things as well but oh, at, at totally. the same time i'm sure you grow through that process as well <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's and, uh, so those those are sort of the core areas that i focus in on because when, when you actually sort of score and there's a way i, I help people score their their current support network and some of the time you realize that actually these these are just noise these are just people whose names are in my database uh they haven't got my back they're, they're not supportive or actually i hero worship them a bit i really like them and i think they'd be good or actually i really should have said goodbye to them a long time ago because uh, they're not helping in any way and it's knowing that small core group of people that have really got your back uh, and then how to work more closely with them so that you are not isolated. You've got that powerful team asking great questions of you. You're asking great questions of them. They're supporting you through as you go through different challenges. I know I know one particular individual who told his mastermind group about his severe cancer diagnosis before he'd even talked to his family because he, he needed to work out how he was going to approach it. And he needed independent, impersonal support that was going to give him real clear guidance that he could take on board and then take back for what he was going to have to go through over the next while. Scary, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. But it, it shows how vital it is, especially with an example like that at the end there. You know, it, it shows how vital these groups are and how they can they can make you stronger. And uh, you've mentioned the word a few times during the conversation today, but in terms of being isolated and avoiding isolation, because we we know, don't we, that you know, being isolated, not having anybody to talk to, so often does lead to mental health challenges as well. So having that kind of front and center, 
to avoid being isolated, to make better decisions, and to be more productive as, as a result as well. I, I think it's yeah, it's it's so key and how, so vital in terms of what it is that you're doing. Absolutely. No, it's it's for me having this mental wealth team. I believe will change lives and has the potential to save a life. Uh, and that's that's not me being cliched. It's just the reality of people having the, the proactive support around them can have so much more control over what they're doing. Uh, when when the proverbial hits the fan, they can rebound so much faster uh, because they've got people who've got their back. And you probably already talked through that scenario in advance before. So it's seeing how that's going to play out for you. And that makes such a difference because you're then not doing this on your own. In the Western world, we regularly don't know what our parents earn or earned, and they don't know what we earn. So how, if we can't be uh, open and transparent with our nearest and dearest about finances, are we ever meant to be truly honest and open with others that we need the support and help from? And that's just part of that conditioning bit that we need to overcome so we get a bit real, for want of a better phrase. Well, thank you, Mike. It's been brilliant speaking with you. And I wish you every success with what you're doing and with the book as well. Um, is the book out now? Is it, has it already been released? Yeah, yeah. The book's out now, uh, available at Amazon, as you'd expect. It's also available at MikePagan.com, which is uh, my, my website, which is nice and easy to find. In the, on that website as well, there's a, a baseline questionnaire, of just sort of 15 questions. And it's all asking around about our um, areas of uh, personal self-care and how we're building up that support network and that mental wealth team. And it, it's designed to generate conversations. It, it, it doesn't have answers. It's there to provoke conversations. And it's not a huge sales pitch or anything silly like that, uh, but uh, more than happy for people to jump on and go with that if they, if they wish. Fantastic. And, and these, you know, asking questions provides better answers, doesn't it? It's, it's absolutely, you know, one of my mantras as well. I think we need to be asking important questions and difficult questions. Yeah. And, and, and that's that's part of it, because I know you said uh, one, one of the things you I know you always finish with these uh, interviews with is what's the one thing uh, you, you wish you'd known when you'd started? Uh, and for yeah. me, the difference, the one big thing I wish I'd known the difference was uh, the difference between professional and amateur. And it's uh, going in a sporting environment. It, it, yeah, uh, an amateur doesn't get paid. A professional does get paid. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, now let's put that into the business environment. You can do an awful lot of stuff for a lot of people and not get paid. Now, unless you're in a charitable business or a philanthropic environment, that's not business. Um, and then it's asking the question, is what I've done in the last half day, in the last week, what did I approach that in a professional manner or was I a bit amateur was I a bit hobby was I a bit unfocused um so for me and, and I know it's in hindsight it's very easy to just come out with phrases like that but uh with without time managing and uh, putting uh, all sorts of uh time sheets together to make sure every single minute is precious and looked after properly uh, just that general approach is does that look professional would I invest five ten fifty thousand pounds dollars euros whatever it is in that relationship over the next six months six years whatever the time scale is professional or amateur need to really establish the difference in that to make it uh, sit in and sink in our daily activities because yeah. then we can have more fun That's the key <laughs> point. if we do it all professionally in the first place then we are able to uh, go off and spend more time in the gym uh, jumping in lakes and oceans or whatever else it is that happens to get you excited 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's normally the second question uh, that I ask at the end of each episode. So we'll... I knew there was one there somewhere. That's why I brought it in. <laughs> Just proved yeah, but... that I've been listening in and doing my homework. Fantastic. But uh, but yeah, I, I think it's so key. And, you know, th- that question is about hindsight, about what you know now that you wish you knew when you started. And that's the way you phrased it there. I think it's so key because it is something that it can be implemented in the early days of a business as well. Um, and if even if you've had your business for a long time, you know, to, to think how you can do something in a more professional way that's likely to to gain traction. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really great point. So uh, moving on to the other questions uh, that I ask at the end of each episode. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best piece of advice that you give for somebody thinking about starting a business today? Isolation. Don't do it in isolation. There's a reason why prisoners are put in isolation when they're misbehaving, because it kills creativity and it stops you feeding off other people and getting the energy and the excitement, and everything going. So build that support network around you. And even if that just means you're starting with two people, that's great because uh, as you get closer to those guys, they can then introduce you to the equal caliber people elsewhere and you build the network from there. So uh, isolation sucks. That's not the way we need to work it. Build the team around you. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's a great piece of advice and it can be done iteratively as well, as you say, and it doesn't need to be you know, a, a whole team full time in one go effectively, isn't it? It can grow as you grow and as the business grows as well. So you know, fantastic stuff. And is there a resource that you'd recommend? So be it uh, another podcast, uh, a book, anything that you, you think would be really useful for people towards the start of their journey? Well, for the start of the journey, one of the elements I always go back to is The Chimp Paradox. If you, if you don't know that book, please look it up. It is so straightforward as far as its common sense, but it's that need to entertain the chimp in our heads that distracts and destroys whilst we're trying to get on with stuff. It's, it's a, a very great read, and I know that he's even written versions of that now for young people. Um, but he was the the mind coach previously for Johnny Wilkinson and Ronnie O'Sullivan yeah, and other absolutely. sporting luminaries. So uh, that that's a great simple book to get in there. And as far as uh, other resources, uh, one I'd say is is keep on learning. Um, so so businesses that are starting up at the moment, if you're starting up while still employed elsewhere, which quite a lot of people do, uh, then just continue to to learn. Get the training, get the support. Uh, in the last 18 months, I've done courses on neuroscience, on humor, in speeches. I've done improvisation skills courses. I've done all sorts of areas just to keep my gray matter improving and growing and learning from other people. So uh, absolutely keep on learning, finding those ones that really push for you. Yeah, fantastic stuff. The Steve Peters book, um, I think, you know, Ronnie O'Sullivan, you mentioned him there, but Ronnie had Steve in his corner, didn't he? Um, a, a lot of tournaments, he'd, he'd have him with him, you know, on site during the tournaments. And, and Ronnie attributed a lot of his success in recent years to the work that he's done with Steve Peters. I'm not, I don't do heavy book reads. Um, I, I enjoy reading, but I'm not a bookworm and I'm not, a, I don't love heavy academic books. Uh, so for me, that chimp paradox worked very well. He was with the British cycling team as well uh, for a yep. long time. So it, it, he's, uh, he's worked with some interesting people. But this this is back to if you're kicking off new in business, if you've got the right support network, you're feeding your brain with the right uh, training, learning and uh, um, inspirational setup. Buy, buying the book, The Secret, which, which was a book that came out sort of 15 years ago. 
I, I remember a very cynical person turning around saying that once uh, uh, he'd been told somebody would read the secret 15 times and his life still sucked. Um, <laughs> and, and it's it, that that's the whole point. Uh, it, it's about taking action. We can we can learn stuff. We can get support. We can get input and advice from all sorts of people all over the place. But if you don't step up and take action from what you're learning or what you're doing, A, nothing will change and B, they'll stop giving. Yeah, fantastic stuff and, and a great example as well. So brilliant. Is there a guest that you'd recommend for a future episode of the show? Uh, absolutely. Uh, one of my uh, best buddies um, uh, is a chap called David Heiner. Um, and he, he does a lot in the world of goal setting uh, and, and achieving more. Uh, he's a very clever man. Uh, and uh, it work does uh, half of his work is done with young young adults in school. So he'll he'll talk to thousands upon thousands of of young adults every year, challenging them about revision skills and purpose, and very much focused on goal setting and how to achieve things. Fantastic. Uh, so there's there's lots of scope for you there. I I, I have many. I have many, but I'll start with Dave for you. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much. And again, it goes back to getting things done early, doesn't it? Starting things right. Prevention is better than cure. You know, so I think that we, we could go on and have a whole other conversation about, you know, young people and the, the benefits that, that we can give to them today. So no, brilliant stuff. And you, you touched on your links. Uh, so MikePagan.com. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to share for, for the audience today? Take mental wealth seriously would be the, the challenge. Uh, yes, it's a play on the word mental health, but the mental wealth piece is very much focused on having the right people there. So if, if you're feeling that you haven't got the right people, then ask some better questions of those you know, like and trust uh, for introductions to the right people. Because as, as I said earlier, it's, I believe it's absolutely our responsibility to ask better questions of people who are coming out with phrases like fine when asked how they're doing. Uh, and just working with them, because the, the better we are at asking questions of others, the better we are at asking for help for ourselves so that we can get the answers we need to push the buttons that is going to make us as successful as we need and want it to be. And that's not all about materialism. A lot of the time I focus on sort of what could be described as a Zen lifestyle, where you, you're just not looking back over your shoulder saying, what if or if only. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm I'm happy with where I am. I'm achieving well, and the family's good, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm leaving a legacy. I'm making a difference. Uh, if those are things that matter to you, then fine. Let's work out how you can do that with the support of others challenging you along the way. Great stuff, and uh, what a fabulous way to finish. So, Mike, it's been vital uh, speaking with you today, and lots of fun as well. So, thank you so much for sharing as much as you have with us on the show. No problem. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. There was so much value there, but let's break it down into my top three takeaways. First is the mental wealth team. I hope you see the benefits of those four core areas that Mike talked us through and how each perform a different role. So where are you on your journey today? Who do you have in your life that you can work with more closely? And what gaps do you need to fill? Equally, who do you need to see less of or phase out of your life completely? Secondly, lessons from other industries. Mike spoke about his work with sports people and of course recommended one of Steve Peters' books. One of the things I've always tried to integrate into my learning and decision making is lessons from outside of my role as a project manager or the sector I'm working in. I believe that's often where the magic happens 
and how true disruption takes place. Whether you take inspiration directly from what Mike shared about working with sports people, or it's another example that's of interest to you, what can you apply from a different sector or industry that will make your business and your life better? Finally, taking your mental wealth seriously. It's not selfish to put yourself first, and as entrepreneurs it can be very difficult for us to ever switch off. Whether it's making time for self-care or bringing in people to support you and your business, Mike gave a great case study here of why you shouldn't do things alone. As he says, isolation kills creativity and prevents decision making. By listening to this and taking action, I hope you make changes that improve every day going forwards. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.